Welcome to a new kind of PD, teaching channels podcast where we tackle challenges in education and provide ways to inspire and engage in meaningful professional development. I'm Erica Snyder, engagement coordinator from Teaching Channel, coming to you from our location in New York City. This week, we'll be discussing teacher shortage in the national landscape in education with Dr. Stephanie Wood Garnett, Vice President for Policy to Practice at the Alliance for Excellent Education in Washington, D.C. Thanks for being here today, and be sure to check out a link in our episode description for the resources mentioned in today's show. Class is now in session. Hi, everyone, and welcome, Stephanie. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to talk to you about the um, the teacher shortage that is happening um, in, in the U.S. Uh, before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about your background and what role you play at the Alliance for Excellent Education. Sure. So at the Alliance for Excellent Education, I am in charge of a unit focused on how do we move policies into practice. Those policies might be federal policies or state policies that support educators and most importantly support student achievement. And prior to working here at the Alliance, I also served as a assistant commissioner of teacher and leader effectiveness in New York and teacher preparation and teacher supply and demand were a few of the areas that we're in my portfolio. So I'm really excited about our conversation today. Well, let's jump into it. So I first saw you discuss this topic um, in Chicago at an event, and um, it was really enlightening the way that, that you approached the idea of teacher shortage. So we're, we often hear about the teacher shortage in education um, around the country, but you have a different take on that. So how do you view teacher shortage and the perception that exists around the country? Sure. So um, first I would say, you know, to all of the listeners today, if you think back on your own high school experience and you think about the classes you took, if you think about which courses were your favorite, which teachers were your favorite, and what inspired you to become a teacher, in most cases I think we would say there was something that happened in a specific classroom or with a specific adult or set of adults that influenced our interest in the profession. So one of the things that I work on here at the Alliance is how can we improve the learning experiences of high school kids to support what we call deeper learning, to make certain that they're in classes in which they're engaged and they are having the opportunity to um, direct their own learning and using teacher feedback to really communicate and understand what they're learning in the context of the real world. And that is important because these are our future teachers. So if we think about that and we think about the latest Gallup report that showed that about 50% of kids are saying that they are mostly disengaged or not engaged at all in high schools, then I think we would recognize that if this is our future pipeline, that maybe part of our problem is how we are experiencing learning and how it is influencing the decision to want to become a teacher. Yeah, so so I definitely you know had influences in my life too that, that made me want to become a teacher. Um, and I, I think that um, when we heard you talk the first time, you were also saying that that it there are other conversations that that need to be happening around the quote unquote teacher shortage um, that are not being raised when, when we hear that there's a teacher shortage in, in the U S. So what are those other issues that we should be Certainly. having a conversation about? Yeah. So I think part of the concern that I have about our conversation is that it's 
the headlines are not really focusing on the complexity of our issue. Um, if we as educators or as people who care deeply about teaching could better inform the media and be specific about what we need in order to address teacher shortage, I think we'd be more successful. So here are a couple of examples. Um, first of all, the teacher shortage conversation is often focused on enrollment in teacher education programs. And while enrollment in teacher education programs has dropped across the nation, even if we were to increase that enrollment, it wouldn't necessarily solve all of the shortest issues that we are facing. So it's very important that we are specific about what we're seeing in the shortage areas. And as a former state leader in this area, we had shortages. We didn't have a shortage. So our shortages were typically in areas such as secondary education, special education, CTE, STEM, bilingual education, or those who support English language development. Those were our shortage areas. It wasn't every field of teaching mm -hmm. in which we had a shortage. So that's an example in which our conversation in the media is perhaps not going to help us solve the problems that may exist. The other part about this conversation that we're having in terms of shortage is that there are some other subtopics that are important for us to really talk about, frankly. We can talk about compensation. We can talk about teaching conditions, um, which is something that also impacts one's desire to either remain a teacher or become a teacher when you're thinking about some of the conditions that teachers may face in terms of of uh, student populations uh, not having enough support to support the advancement of that learning or feeling that they don't have autonomy or feeling that they don't have support in what they're trying to do. Um, we've talked about credentialing mm -hmm. in terms of the number of adults who are out in our population who actually have a credential, but they may not have a credential in the state in which they may live at the moment or they may not be eligible for a credential because of reciprocity rules or licensure requirements. So I think when we are talking about teacher shortage, but we're not all thinking about the complexity of the number of issues that might be state or district specific, we're going to end up with a solution that is put together by some well-meaning, well-intended people, but who don't have the depth of understanding of what shortage really means in, in the profession. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, so you mentioned that the, the larger conversation we normally hear about refers to the teachers that are maybe not enrolling um, in the higher ed program. So what does this mean for the higher ed community? Um, and what is the relationship between that and, and what the media is saying um, about teacher shortages? Yeah, so I think this is a, is a really challenging issue for teacher education. Um, teacher education historically has not had uh, issues or not as many issues in having students enroll. Um, typically, teacher education is not a, uh, a profession in which you're recruiting students. You're typically the beneficiary of students coming to you and saying, you know, I think I want to be a teacher. I want to enroll in this general education program or in this teacher ed specific program, um, it's not the type of profession in which that field has typically gone out and sent letters to high school kids saying, hey, Stephanie, based on your SAT or ACT or your record, 
we think you'd be a great teacher. Why don't you apply to our program? So I, I think that one of the fundamental ways in which this is impacting teacher ed is that with low enrollment right now and low interest in the profession, teacher education is going to have to reinvent itself mm -hmm. on one hand to be more deliberate and intentional about recruitment. That's one. Secondly, I think teacher education is going to need to better align with the teacher supply and demand information that is readily available at both the national and state levels. So if you look at each state, you'll identify in some states that there is a overpopulation of teachers in certain subject areas or content areas or grade levels and an under-enrollment in others. So how could that be used to trigger a really deliberate approach in that state with teacher education as a partner to really create pipelines that make sense. That's something we should think about. I'd also argue, you know, as a former summer camp um, counselor, summer camps are pretty strategic about how they go about finding their counselors for the future. You go to the camp and at a certain point they have something called a counselor in training and then you do that, you get the experience, you get paid, you get excited, and then one day you're a counselor. We don't necessarily have that for teaching, but we're beginning to see more grow your own programs around the nation. And I think that's important for us to consider, um, which is how do we reinvent teacher ed to find great people who have the high potential or record that intends to support student achievement, and also how do we create some new creative ways to find those people who might be great teachers in the future. So teacher education has a little bit of work to do. I, I think also related to this concept of the Gallup poll saying high school kids are bored, they're not engaged. I think as we prepare teachers, we need to keep in mind a couple of things. One, are there things we need to change in our teacher education courses to equip future teachers with different approaches to classroom instruction, to facilitating teacher learning, to connecting the learning to the wider global world so that students are more engaged. And many of those individuals entering teacher ed are from uh, the generation that has had uh, more digital exposure and experience. Mm -hmm. And there are different ways that teacher ed perhaps should be preparing teachers, supporting teachers, and recruiting teachers. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, I came, come from a project-based learning background, and that was not something I was trained in in my teacher prep program. So uh, the, there are lots of different ways that we could go about doing that. Um, so if that's that for the higher ed community, some, some shifts that they could make, what about the states or districts or even individual schools? How can they begin to get people back into the profession to use those teaching credentials that might be sitting on the shelf? Sure. And I, I think part of it is going to be, a again, an intentional recruitment um, at both the state and the district. There need to be different conversations. So um, as a former state person who led some of this work, um, in our case as a state, we credentialed teachers, but we did not have an involvement in where teachers ended up applying for positions or ended up working. Um, but I think that states have a great deal of information about the patterns that they're seeing from, from program to program and from region to region um, and could do more to communicate that 
and provide some forecasts that district administrators could be using. At the district level, um, there are the shortage areas that I described earlier, STEM, CTE, secondary, English language learning, et cetera, in which districts may need to be more strategic themselves to think about how to create their own pipeline. Um, and so that is the important conversation around grow your own. Um, as district administrators, um, we know who the young people are in our schools and in our districts, and in many times we keep those same kids and we have the opportunity to really identify them and to share with them the potential that we're seeing in them to be a leader in a classroom or a leader in the education field. And I don't think that enough time is given to thinking about how to create those kinds of learning experiences for them or summer teaching exposure or ways in which to encourage them to think about teacher education, perhaps in partnership with local universities, having them visit teacher ed classes or sit in our teacher ed programs, or thinking about how to use our fundraising that sometimes happens in districts by PTAs or by others in those communities to create teacher scholarships for kids from our communities at the district level. I think it's time for us all to be a little innovative. There are lots of young people out there who do have positive school experiences, but they're not seeing teaching as the profession of choice, sometimes because of compensation concerns or some of the things they're hearing about teacher conditions, but other times it's because we didn't take the time to say, you know what, Stephanie, you could be a really great teacher one day. You know, you should think about it, and I want you to know that, yeah, that first year or that second year, you may not be earning you know, as much as someone who goes into a business field or a, or a technology field, but over the time and over the course of your career, teachers and other educational professionals make a, a, a good wage and they have life opportunities that are different and are positive. So we talked a little bit about how we can get people who have their credentials sitting on the shelf back into teaching, but we also, I think, should talk a little bit about not just content shortage areas, but the other types of shortages that you're hearing about and seeing across the country um, that that we really should be focusing on and bringing into the discussion when we're talking about teacher education. Um, what are some of those shortages that you've that you've heard about? Sure. So one of our big shortages is related to the changing demography of our country. Um, currently, over 50% of the students in the U.S. are minorities, meaning students of color, they might be English language learners, and they are also students who are low income. So as we think about the changing demography of our nation, one of the big shortage areas is that our teaching population does not match the student population or is not even close. And while every teacher should feel comfortable, confident, and is equipped to support students from diverse backgrounds, there is a lot of research that suggests that all students benefit from having diverse teachers. So I think there are some specific things that districts and states could be doing to think about this. One of those we talked about already, which is growing that pipeline, identifying those high potential young people who might be diverse who are in middle school and high school, and giving them experiences like a small teacher assistant type experience or a summer experience or introducing them to teacher education programs in the area. The other things that we need to do are really to think about 
why is it that we don't have a diverse teaching force, and really then to put programs in place to support that. Some specific examples that some states have and that New York had in place were um, some tailored programs to identify um, diverse candidates for teacher education programs, um, or once diverse candidates become teachers, to provide mentors to those teachers who would support that career transition. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we know from um, anecdotally and from many studies is that diverse teachers are often given the most difficult caseloads. And when I say caseload, I don't mean in a medical model. What I mean by that is often those teachers are assigned, if they're African-American male, for example, they might end up with a greater number of boys in a classroom, or they might also be asked to be the dean of discipline, or they might also be asked to mentor and coach. And those are in addition to classroom responsibilities. So it can, for a diverse teacher, become a heavy load to carry when you're not only learning the craft of being a good teacher, but you're also trying to be that role model for the young people um, who may look to you? So, what are some of the so what are some of the recommendations at the state and um, local levels for supporting these teachers who have maybe a, a more the more challenging quote unquote caseloads or that are coming from diverse backgrounds that that might need additional support? And what does that look like? Sure. So, I, I think there are three different approaches that are important. The first is something we've talked about a, a little bit today: is the grow your own. So with many of our diverse students, they are typically in schools that are high um, diverse student populations and often those schools are primarily low income schools and those students may not have um, exposure to some of the uh, higher level coursework, AP and IB and experiences that are really important uh, for teachers who want to be able to be ready themselves and support um, rigorous learning within classrooms. So um, that means that we need to find those kids early. Um, there are so many talented young people from diverse backgrounds and language learners, and if we were able to identify those high potential youth in middle school um, and in, in early in their high school careers to let them know that we think that they have high potential to provide scaffolding in any areas that they may need it. That could be academic, that could be confidence, that could be experiences. And then also to begin the introduction to them to post-secondary, whether that be community college as a pipeline or directly into a four-year program as the pipeline. Introducing them early and providing that encouragement means a lot to young people. On the second level for states, um, many states have mentoring programs already in place. However, some states have gone and added programs that are specifically about mentoring teachers of color who might be in their first three years of teaching, or they have created state-level programs in which they are um, having grant competitions for teacher education programs to apply to offer special programs to bring in larger numbers of candidates of color from across that state. Those are really interesting and innovative models and could be the way in which we help diversify. Um, the other thing I would suggest thirdly is that districts, when they are doing their recruitment, um, most of our teachers of color, especially African-American teachers, are products of historically black colleges and universities. 
So I think sometimes what happens at the district level, again, is we post a position and we, we wait for people to apply or we post the position and maybe we go to a job fair that might be in a local area. If we want to diversify our teaching force, we must diversify our recruitment process. And that may mean strategically going to um, colleges and universities that have larger numbers of students of color enrolled um, and creating partnerships and making certain that we are posting in different places and going to different conferences than we have in the past. So I think as a profession, this, this is so important that our increasingly diverse student population and all students in our schools have the opportunity to be taught by diverse candidates, diverse uh, teachers, and I think we need to be more strategic in how we go about this process to change the face of teaching literally. Talking about, you know, how do we get teachers and then the other part of the conversation is how do we keep teachers? Like what recommendations do you have about attrition? Because we know that that's also part of the conversation. How do we keep people um, in the classroom longer and, from, and then prevent them from leaving? Yeah, that's really important because the reality is even if we close the gap we're currently seeing in teacher education enrollment, it will not um, meet the, the full attrition that we are experiencing. So keeping our current teaching force is critical. I think there are a lot of great resources in many states and at the national level we have data that could help us put together some really good strategies. Examples of that would be really looking at the conditions of teaching and how they differ based on the state or region or type of school district in which one may be teaching. We know that attrition is higher for teachers who may be in a suburban, or excuse me, in an urban area, um, whereas those who are teaching in a suburban area or rural area are more likely to stay in the profession longer. So why is that? So if we think about that, then maybe this has implications for how we resource um, in those communities. Examples of that would be um, how are we using our Title II professional development dollars to provide both professional support for educators who are working in urban areas who may have larger numbers of students who may be academically behind, they may have larger numbers of English language learners, in some cases there are larger numbers of students with disabilities. And people go into teaching because they want to help kids. In most cases, if you do a survey, these are individuals who liked school, who had a great teacher in their own life and want to help kids. It's frustrating when you're in that situation and you don't feel like you have the professional support or the strategies to really feel like the kids in front of you are benefiting at the level that you would desire. So I think that we need to think differently about professional development for teachers. We need to think differently about licensure for teachers, and what I mean by that is in some states they've changed their credentialing process or, or teacher ladders, um, career ladders for teachers. So in addition to being a teacher, you could then get a certification to be a teacher leader, um, which really gives that sense of professionalism to teachers to acknowledge that they've been at this craft for and they've learned it and that they have something to add as a leadership role without having to move into a principalship role or a superintendent role if they choose and would prefer to be in a classroom. That's the second thing we should think about. 
And my final point on, on you know, kind of thinking about how do we keep the teachers we have, I, I do think that over probably the last nine or ten years as we have uh, made significant changes in our school and accountability systems, mm -hmm. the headlines are often very negative. So even at the same time as we as a nation are saying our graduation rates are at the highest ever, the narrative in the media is that, you know, perhaps public schools are, are not good or perhaps, um, you know, the teachers aren't um, meeting certain test score requirements and therefore um, those teachers feel attacked and and yet when you survey parents, most parents say our, our neighborhood school is good. We like our neighborhood school. So I, I think sometimes the narrative, which is where we began this conversation, mm -hmm. sometimes the narrative mm -hmm. that is um, most common can impact both our pipeline and the perception of, the of our profession, of educators. So how do we take back the narrative? You know, so I'm, I'm a big advocate for having great teachers in every classroom and holding teachers to high standards and holding kids to high standards, but I'm also an advocate of how do we make certain that the messaging is fair and consistent and accurate um, and so I, I think that to the extent that the educators listening to this podcast are working with their local newspapers um, and trying to plant those good news stories, not just the, the test scores just came out again and this is how we did, mm -hmm. um, I, I think that we have power that um, is in our own voices. That could be not just the local media, that might be our Twitter accounts, that might be our social media feeds. That might be the ways in which schools are partnering with the local community to have events and might be those interactions in the grocery store in smaller communities where teachers and principals and superintendents are really living in those communities. I think we have opportunities to change the narrative, um, but it is important that the narrative change so that more young people want to become teachers. And then going back to my earlier point, it's important that we also think about the experience our young people are having in our schools. And if we feel that our young people are disengaged in our classrooms, then we have to change that or we cannot expect them to go to college and say, I want to be that adult in the classroom that I just experienced. We want them to think back to the adult in the classroom in the experience in which they couldn't wait to get to that class or they couldn't wait to do that project or to have that experience or to do the internship related to the experience in the class. That's what we want for young people. So I think we have the opportunity here to seize the narrative, but to also put in approaches that reflect the context in which we live. Yeah, and we at Teaching Channel are hoping that we're helping shift that narrative a little bit um, and, and encourage all of our listeners too, if there is a, a story that you want to share with us, um, to help change that narrative, to feel free to email us and get in contact. Um, before we close out today, just wanted to see if you had any other um, policy recommendations for people who might be listening and want to get involved and not sure where to start um, in changing the conversation from a from a policy standpoint. Um, do you have any any tips for them? Yeah, there's a there's a few things, and and your listeners may already be thinking about this. I, I think one I mentioned before is. How are we using our federal dollars that are coming to us from states at the state and the district level to support the teaching profession? 
Um, so that might be thinking about teacher professional development, that might be thinking about um, personalized, personalizing teacher professional development so that all teachers aren't getting the same thing in the district when their needs might be very, very different based on their experience and or based on the students they're serving. The other thing that we can think differently from a, uh, a policy, the resources that we have available to us from Title II, Title IV, um, and in the new federal education law, there were some opportunities um, to utilize Title I monies to really think differently about um, even principal support and preparation. So I, I think there are policy opportunities out there, and I know there's a lot of creativity, and I hope you'll feature some of those in the future so that we can also highlight those practices. Well, Stephanie, thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate you taking time um, to talk to us about this issue. You know, thank you so much for highlighting this issue. Again, as I said, in Chicago, where we first met, this is something that is so important. And the way in which we, as an education profession, respond um, and provide clarification on what we need is so important because even in some places, there's been um, some well-intended fast responses that I don't think are going to solve the problem because they weren't informed by the teacher supply demand data. They probably didn't really ask the district. They probably didn't you know, get together with the state education officials. It was a legislative body that tried to do something fast to say it was responding. Um, so I think we have the information and we know how to do this work um, and we just need to find the time and the space to do it in a way that's going to result in the kind of teachers and teachers in the places that we need them. Definitely. And if for our listeners who are interested in, in continuing the conversation, um, you can find Stephanie on Twitter at the Alliance for Excellent Education at all, the number four in ed. And they have amazing resources on that website um, that can can just enlighten you about many different issues happening in, in education. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter and reach out to me if you have any questions at Snyder underscore Erica. Thanks to Paul Zeski's uh, Mad Garage Band Skills for providing our music and the teaching channel staff for all their work getting a new kind of PD up and running. To our listeners, if you like what you hear, head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and tell your friends about us. Again, Stephanie, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Um, and we'll be back in two weeks when we'll be discussing the Nora Project, which is an amazing program for teaching empathy in schools.